This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at www.sfcc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for coming to Green Gulch. No? How's that? Better? Well, we'll see how this mic uh, functions uh, with me. Uh, good morning again and welcome. Those of you who are uh, streaming the Dharma talk and and those of you who've come to Green Gulch on this beautiful spring day, a Green Gulch spring day, foggy, cold, uh, chilly. Uh, this morning, I wanted to talk about with you uh, a teaching that's put forward in a number of places, but in one place is the Avatamsaka Sutra, the flower ornament scripture or flower garland scripture. And this scripture I'm uh, studying with a group of people led by Tenshin Roshi. And he's beginning to offer this more widely, I think, in different venues. The uh, scripture itself is uh, very long, very, uh, it's a large scripture and It basically expresses the mind of Buddha and the mind of Buddha helping sentient beings, manifesting and helping sentient beings. However, it does so in ways that are uh, very challenging, I'm finding. So I'm just going to take one small teaching from this huge scripture that was also um, uh, taken as a koan in our koan collection, the Book of Serenity, case 67, takes this teaching, just a paragraph, and uh, puts that forth for us as a koan, as something to, out of compassion, for us to turn and look at and learn by heart. So before I enter that, I just wanted to say a, a few words about uh, the last six months or so, I was invited to lead the Tassajara practice periods and Mountain Center and have been gone from Green Gulch um, I was gone for a full three months plus some vacation time. So 
I haven't given a talk here since uh, November, December of last year. Uh, in the Tassar practice period, the theme of the practice period through uh, studying a particular chapter of a work, the chapter was of Dogen's was called Bowing to the Marrow. And it and and so the practice period, we looked at the practice of bowing itself and practice bowing. There was uh, the offering of the possibility of doing 108 bows every morning before Zazen, which lots of people uh, took up as a practice, either coming to the Zendo before, uh, before the wake-up bell or uh, doing it in their cabins uh, or if not early in the morning, later in the day. So we practice 108 bows and there were many teaching stories about bowing and the practice of bowing and the importance of bowing. Uh, which I, I wanted to say a few words about as well. And just briefly coming back from Tazahara in April, I took some time um, visiting family. And during that time, while I was away, I got a phone call from my son about my husband, Steve Weintraub, who had been in a serious bicycle accident in West Marin near Olima. And I was in Vermont. I was on the East Coast, or not coast, but far away. And the first thing my son said was, "He's dad's not going to die. And then just hearing those words, it was like, okay, I'm ready. Um, tell me. And as Steve describes it, it was like a hair's breadth deviation while he was riding the bicycle. He was on a route he's done many times, uh, Green Gulch to Point Reyes and back. Uh, coming down near Olima, this wonderful hill, from his, how he tells it is, he was going too fast, but just a little too fast. And when the curve came, he wasn't able to make the turn and went off the road. And then through the kindness of strangers, people who were driving and saw it, people stopped, the paramedics came, the fire department, police department, and he was taken to Olima and helicoptered to the trauma center in uh, Walnut Creek in the East Bay, about an hour and a half from Green Gulch, with um, punctured lung and broken ribs, uh, broken clavicle, fractured vertebrae, and just, uh, and no head injury and nothing that couldn't re he couldn't recover from. So that, uh, experience of hearing the news, being far away, and traveling back. Uh, not that I could 
do anything besides be present uh, was, you know, practicing with that, uh, which for all of us, you all probably have your own story of getting a phone call or a doctor's uh, diagnosis or coming upon an accident. This, this is our life together. This is, this is our shared life. Yes, I know, I know you wanna go out. I wonder if we, should we open more doors? I don't know what will be helpful. Come, come, come. Anyway, uh, so there's a poem just I wanted to recite kind of about the practice of meeting whatever comes. And Steve was very present. He didn't get involved in why me and um, this, you know, everything had to stop all our vacation plans and his work and my work and none, no like regrets or just what's next. How do we meet this? So this is a poem by Dogen, which seemed very apt for me. And also for this season, for this season. The bright green color of the peach and plum trees, so shining and lustrous, manifesting in these very branches, the same spring of hundreds of generations. It is foolish to despise what is close by or to value something that is far away. Right now, remove all doubts by seeing what you see and hearing what you hear. I'm going to uh, read it again. I used to be able to recite it, but the bright green color of the peach and plum trees, so shining and lustrous, manifesting in these very branches, the same spring of hundreds of generations. It is foolish to despise what is close by or to value something far away. Right now, remove all doubts by seeing what you see and hearing what you hear. So I find that a, a kind of wonderful admonition or practice, uh, to practice uh, teaching for not just everyday life, uh, but our zazen practice, of course, and all of our encounters, all of our activities, this despising what's close by and grass is always greener and I wish it wasn't and why me? And, you know, I'm, I have the worst luck or all of that can be just right now, just see what you see and hear what you hear and meet 
and accord with the conditions of your life, whatever, whatever is being manifesting and being offered. So I, I really felt Steve practiced in that way, uh, just meeting the situation and no wasting time with poor me or denigrating I'm so stupid or things that people sometimes do. And just to let you know, uh, he's doing great. He's recovering slowly. Slowly, it's going to take months probably, but he can do uh, daily activities. He started driving and taking down the compost and, you know, daily life. So it's, uh, but for a while there was, you know, there was, uh, needed a, he needed a lot of support. So uh, just now we chanted three different, three times a verse or a gata in Sanskrit verses, gata, G-A-T-H-A, gata. And in the gata, um, there's probably, for some of you, some of you know, but some words you may not know what they are. One word is tathagata, and another word is kalpa. Uh, so in this verse is, is, and we're doing it three times now, which is a new practice, helps us to focus on the Dharma words that are coming through, through whoever the speaker is that day, or the Dharma words that are coming through you and occurring for you and rising up for you. Because each one of you is having your own unique experience, your own unique meeting with these words, and also your own bodies and this room and uh, this bird. Um, so in the gata, we say uh, an unsurpassed, penetrating, and perfect dharma. And I don't think that's um, that each person who speaks here has, um, you know, some ultra perfect uh, understanding or way of teaching or anything. It's the Dharma itself is unsurpassed, penetrating and perfect. And it's rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million kalpas. And this reminds me of different sutras that measure things in ways that are beyond our human, beyond our ken, outside of our ability. And a kalpa, just to tell you, if you don't know, is the time it takes for a hundred mile high iron mountain, hundred yojanas, maybe some uh, measurement, but a hundred miles, let's say, high iron mountain that once Every hundred years, a little bird, maybe this bird, flies by with a piece of silk in its mouth and runs it across the top of the mountain. As long, how long it takes for that mountain to be worn down to the ground is one kalpa. So, you know, our mind begins to kind of reel, you know, we, it's like we, we can't imagine it. But we also can't imagine really 
how far away the galaxies are in the sun even or right it's we can imagine it but it's kind of beyond our ability to grasp and hold it conceptually so is rarely the dharma is rarely met within a hundred thousand million kalpas wow and then having it to see and listen to so having this chance to hear the teaching and not just hear but to remember so it comes into the ears or if we're reading through the eyes and then we remember we reflect and turn it around these are different kinds of wisdom hearing reflecting on or remembering having it to see and listen to remember and accept and then there's a vow at the end which all of you who chanted said i vow to taste the truth of the tathagata's words and the tathagata that word sanskrit means uh, the thus come one it's an epithet it's one of the titles or one of the names of respect and and praise for the buddha is tathagata and it comes from the sanskrit tatata which is thus come thus come and thus go so this is another name for the buddha or buddha nature you could say even or suchness or thusness the thus come one the tatakatan so that brings me to um, this koan 67 in uh, the book of serenity and the the koan is takes this paragraph as i said before from the avatamsaka sutra and uh puts forth this teaching it's you know those of you who have studied koans or read them often there's a dialogue there can be a dialogue with a teacher there can be um you know an anecdote a story or a teaching from scripture or sutras so koans as the case the case for a koan can be a lot of different things it doesn't have to always be these dialogues either short or long can be a pithy saying in this case it's from the avatamsaka sutra and i'll i'll read um the um the case the flower ornament scripture says and this is the buddha speaking this is a chance to hear the utmost right and perfect teaching really rarely heard as an encouragement to your whole life are you ready i now see all sentient beings everywhere fully possess 
the wisdom and virtues of the enlightened ones. But because of false conceptions and error and attachments, they do not realize it. That's the case and that's the teaching. So this is the Buddha and the Buddha says this in a couple different places in the Mahapari Nirvana Sutra. It said that he said something like this, not in English, of course, upon awakening under the Bodhi tree. Marvelous, marvelous, wonderful, wonderful. All beings and the great earth are completely and thoroughly enlightened. That was his enlightenment that included all of us and the great earth, except for their delusions and illusions. They don't realize it. So that's, that's this koan, this teaching for us. And I'm going to read it again. I now see all sentient beings everywhere. This is, you might say, oh, no, no, you can't mean so-and-so because, or, you know, we might begin to discriminate and pick and choose and gauge who's, no. This teaching is all beings. I now see all sentient beings everywhere fully possess the wisdom and virtues of the enlightened ones. But because of false conceptions and attachments, they do not realize it. So this is uh, the Book of Serenity, pulling this uh, paragraph out of the Avatamsaka Sutra. So in the Avatamsaka Sutra, I found the place where they drew that from. It's in chapter 37 called Manifestation of Buddha. And Before I read that, because I don't want to just do lots of reading, I wanted to say something more about what we studied in Tassajara, which was uh, the importance of bowing and what that practice, how that practice supports our practice of sitting, our practice of wisdom and compassion. There's a quote from Suzuki Roshi Zen Center's founder who says, someone asked, and there often is resistance to bowing uh, when you're first introduced to it. Um, if, if you come for zazen instruction and you're shown, you know, we bow to the cushion in a way, we, we bow all in a practice place. There's many, many opportunities for bowing. There's altars that allow us to stop and show respect for the practices of everyday life in front of the bathhouse, bathrooms, at the kitchen altar, then of course in the meditation hall, uh, 
And also when you go to speak with someone, there's bowing, which expresses one's respect, one's gratitude. And Suzuki Roshi, when asked about bowing, said, I think the person said, why do we bow to the Buddha? And he said, because there is no Buddha, we bow to the Buddha, which I think baffled the person probably, I'm not sure. Uh, what was Suzuki Roshi pointing to or expressing? So this teaching from the Avatamsaka Sutra that uh, I now see that all beings everywhere, sentient beings everywhere are completely endowed with the wisdom of the enlightened ones. Meaning there's no sentient beings and Buddhas are not two, except for these attachments and conceptions. They don't realize it, but it's not that it's not true. So when we bow to Buddha, and I wanna say something about that um, bowing, uh, there's, there's a verse that expresses this that was uh, given probably to Dogen from, Dogen is the founder of this school in Japan who teacher was in China and that teacher gave him a verse which is translated different ways but during this practice period at Tassajara when I was doing the 108 bows every morning I would also do this bowing gata this verse and and this is the verse the one who is bowing the one who is bowed to their nature, no nature, my body, others' bodies, not two, plunging into the inexhaustible vow with a V, living in harmony with all. So this is a bowing verse where right there, while well, you're bowing to another person or a practice figure, we have the wonderful uh, bodhisattva of compassion, Jizo bodhisattva, the tall one behind me. And right behind me, I'm sorry, my back is to these practice figures is Tara Buddha, who's also a compassion figure, a green Tara, who's fast acting, you can call for help. When you bow to, let's say a practice figure or your neighbor or bowing to your cushion, or into the room when you come in, the one who is bowing, the one who is bowed to, their nature, no nature, meaning no separate objectifiable phenomena here. Their nature, there's no separate self. There's just a Buddha nature, interconnectedness, thusness, tathagata, the thus come one, whatever form that's taking. So the one who is bowing, the one who is bowed to, their nature, no nature, 
that no is is kind of wisdom speak you know it's the kind of when you put no often it means no separateness or the teaching of interconnectedness or emptiness no something out there so the one who is bowing the one who is bowed to their nature no nature my body others bodies not to that's a very strict and difficult teaching and kind of amazing teaching who i'm bowing to is not separate from me whether it's a being or a practice figure or a sentient being of all kinds like this bird did it just go out no i heard it calling it, uh, my body others bodies not too so this um to me this practice of bowing also works with our conceptions, these false conceptions and attachments like to I, me, and mine and possessions and stuff and fame and gain and all, all the attachments uh, in this koan, it's saying, all sentient beings without exception have the wisdom of the buddhas except they don't realize it how come because there's attachments and false conceptions the basic false conception is separateness i'm separate rather than i am completely interdependent with all beings past present and future these are very basic Buddhist teachings that we've maybe heard many, many times. Um, and somehow uh, noting that in our bowing, my body, others' bodies, not to. And then the last line is plunging into the inexhaustible vow. I, and for many years, I have trouble hearing the difference between Bs and Vs. So I thought it was plunging into the inexhaustible vow since it was a bowing verse, but no, it's the inexhaustible vow living in harmony with all. And that inexhaustible vow is the vow, is the bodhisattva vow to live for the benefit of beings, which are not separate from us. So it's, we're included even. And, and living in harmony with all beings. That doesn't mean complacency, living in harmony. It means according with conditions and being a person of suchness or a person of thusness. I wanted to say a little bit more about this word thusness or suchness. This the Tathagata 
so um, in the Avatamsaka Sutra and commentary on it, the word Buddha itself in the sutra is commonly used for thusness or suchness or the reality rather than a specific Shakyamuni Buddha who taught and it's more the reality body of the Buddha or thusness, suchness. And this reality body of the Buddha, this suchness manifests in a way for each sentient being in a way that's according to their um, unique breeze of reality. They're unique. Each of us are on the path and are unique. We share many, many things and we also have a unique past, present, future, karmic consciousness. And so this reality body of the Buddha and the teachings take the forms that we can receive according to where we are right this minute, what's going on with us. And, you know, coming out of a Dharma talk, sometimes people say, oh, not all the time, but sometimes it's wonderful. People say, oh, that was such a wonderful talk. And I always want to know what, what was it that you, you know, that you found wonderful or that was useful. And they'll pick out something that I can't even remember saying. It was like not the focus. It wasn't part of what I was thinking was the main <laughs> kind of uh, topic. But there's something there that met them uniquely. This just occurred to me. I, I was leading a session and I gave this talk. It was about the Lotus Sutra. And I had had a kind of insight actually to something and I was bringing it forth with, it was like the fifth day of session, uh, the seven day retreat with a lot of like warmth and and uh, kind of, I guess, invested maybe, come to think of it. But anyway, like really wanting to convey something. And then it was time for Q&A. And this person raised their hand after I'd given this, what I felt was really an important teaching, you know. They raised their hand and they said, are we allowed to have pink Oriyoki cloths? <laughs> Oriyoki is the ceremonial eating with nested bowls and these cloths. We ask people to have white cloths. Are we, is it okay if we have pink Oriyoki cloths? And I remember feeling like, whoa, are we in the same Dharma talk kind of because I had just like thought that um, something, you know, uh, had gotten pass on there but anyway so each person receives the teaching through the ears and eyes and body language and uniquely what they what you need and the, in the lotus sutra this the chapter on dharma rain where the rain comes down and covers the earth the dharma rain and the shrubs and the trees and the grasses and the flowers each takes what they need uh, according to their own karmic life. So 
this, uh, another name for this is skill in means, where the Tathagata, the person of suchness, meets people where they are. And this is, this is really how the teaching is conveyed. Uh, it's not a one-size-fits-all, actually, which sometimes looks like, well, that's contradicting, or I read this, but this looks... So we can ask who, who the Buddha was talking to that this was the teaching that he gave. Thank you, kitchen. The kitchen is leaving. Um, so I'll be uh, closing in just a moment and, and opening for a uh, question and answers, but I just wanted to add something uh, to this. Uh, In the Avatamsaka Sutra, the Buddha says again how one translation is wonderful, another is how strange. How strange, how it is that these sentient beings have the knowledge of the Buddha, but in their folly and confusion do not know it or perceive it. And then the Buddha says, I should teach them the way of the sages and cause them to forever shed deluded notions and attachments so they can see in their own bodies the vast knowledge of Buddhas, no different from the Buddhas. So the Buddha having this, I now see that Everyone, all sentient beings are filled with the, the wisdom of the Buddhas, but don't realize it. Out of that comes this vow to the Bodhisattva vow to save all beings, to bring beings into, uh, to enter the Buddha's way, to help beings to enter the Buddha's way. This vow comes out of, rather than, oh, well, everybody, so they don't get it, but they really are, so I don't have to worry about it, because all beings already have the wisdom of the Buddha, so it's all, it's all done. But the Buddha sees that there's suffering. There's suffering because of not understanding these teachings and not realizing it and feeling separate and the anxiety and the suffering of loss and the suffering of all the afflictions, jealousy and anger and greed and why me, pity, you know, pitying oneself. And so the Buddha sees that and says, I'll, I will teach and help. You know, this is, this is the Buddha mind. And I think this is the mind of the Bodhisattva as well. This is the mind of a person of suchness. So I'm going to end with this. So um, one of our ancestors, the disciple of um, 
Dongshan Tozan, the founder of this school, once said, you're trying to attain thusness, yet you already are a person of thusness. As you already are a person of thusness, why worry about thusness? You could say suchness or thusness. And uh, Dogen, who comments on many teachings uh, in his chapter called Thusness, Imo in Japanese, he says, it means that one who aspires to suchness, and I would say everybody here, well, how come you're here? We aspire to live in accord with the way. One who aspires to experience thusness is immediately a person of thusness. And then because of thusness, you arouse this boundless aspiration for enlightenment, which includes other beings and wanting to help other beings. And then Dogen says, how do I know that you're a person of thusness? You know it because you want to attain thusness. As, as you already have the face and the eye of a person of thusness, do not worry about thusness now. Even if you worry, it is thusness not to be worried about. So this, I now see all beings. All beings are persons of thusness. And how do we know? Because we want to practice. And that is not our own separate self. That wish, that aspiring to practice comes out of the whole interconnected web of thusness. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered at no cost, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your financial support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information, visit sfcc.org and click Giving. May we fully enjoy the Dharma.